Welcome to episode three of Startline Stories, brought to you by the Speed On Screen team. Uh, an important topic to look at is which category and class best suits your car. Um, fortunately, Andy, you have uh, some expertise in this matter and uh, really looking forward to you guiding us through how people can choose where they best fit into events. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, one of the most commonly asked questions. Um, people post on social media pretty much every day saying, oh, what, what, what class would this fit into? Not understanding the differences between categories and classes. So hopefully this will help you. I'm sure it will. I think it's a question you've answered many times, but will need answering many times in the future. So we look forward to your guide. Thank you. Yeah, so this is something that we're trying to address in this podcast, uh, things that are commonly uh, misunderstood about the disciplines we're focusing on. And today, what I really want to talk about is um, how the regulations are set and the categories and classes for the cars that you compete in. It's something that's, that is, as I've said, really misunderstood. And a lot of people don't quite understand how it goes together. So um, I thought I'd start with... Um, some pretty pictures because why not so um speed event regulations uh are set at a national level uh they are set in the motorsport uk yearbook uh in section f and they're set by motorsport uk those are the national regulations they apply to absolutely every event every sprint and hill climb uh in the country now when a club runs an event, they have to abide by those regulations, uh, but they will also create some event regulations, which are your supplementary regulations. Um, and you'll also get final instructions quite often. I think they came out today for the uh, Great Western Sprint, for example. And those regulations also apply on top of those regulations on the yearbook. Now, if you're uh, competing in a championship, which is organised by a club, they're all organised by a club somewhere, uh, then you also have the championship regulations that will apply to you during competition. So you've got to put all three sets of regulations together to understand exactly what classes uh, are set. Now, the event organising club will choose the classes and those classes are completely up to that organising club. Quite often, they'll follow the classes that are set by the championship organisers. And so you'll find in the southwest region, for example, I know this is very southwest focused, but um, we are in the southwest, um, even though people listening might not be. Uh, in the southwest, there are a set number of uh, classes in the Southwest Championship, and those tend to get used by every single event in the Southwest. When you're south of the M4 and when you're west of Bristol, that's what you get. Now, cars are all set into categories. Every car falls into a category that's set in Section S of the yearbook. Now, the first category, and I suppose it's important to explain what the categories do, but they apply a level of 
safety equipment that's necessary to compete at that level. So they are rough categories of performance effectively. Uh, so right at the very bottom rung of the ladder, you've got standard cars. Now, what's important about those is they are completely standard road cars. They're tax and insured. They run on list 1A tyres. Um, and the only things you're allowed to modify, I know I just said completely standard, but you are allowed to fit safety gear. Um, so you can fit a roll cage, you can fit seats, and you can fit harnesses, which answers some of the questions that were asked earlier on. Um, the car's got to be less than two litre. It's got to be post two. I really this up. Thank you. Two thousand. Yep. So post two thousand car. Um, you're also allowed to change uh brake friction material. Um I glossed over list one A there, but uh Motorsport UK in the yearbook also specify tire lists, which are compiled with the help of the tire manufacturers to kind of categorize tires into their grippiness. And list one A is effectively what you'll find on any road car on on the road, but it doesn't include those track day special tyres. Yeah. So I've got it's... some examples there of cars that could fit into your standard category, although I haven't thought about it, that uh, Clio in the top right doesn't necessarily look like it is standard, but it could be if it was standard. And you have one, didn't you, Andrew? Um, I'd... I'd... I did. I still, I still have it. Actually, it's, it, um, it became a championship-winning car. The interesting thing is, you might think that the standard car class is going to be at the back of the field. Um, actually, on on some events across this complete spectrum of cars, um, on a good day, you could get you could get a standard car in the top third of overall finishers. Um, the appeal for me of a standard car class is it didn't turn into a sort of technology war in terms of engine upgrades, suspension upgrades, trick tires. Um, okay, you know, a Clio 200 was, you know, a fairly nippy hot hatch of its era, um, but there are so many cars uh, available um, that that meet those those specifications that you've given that it's a great place to get started um you'll you'll find the cars fairly easy you easily you'll find you'll find competitors so yeah, uh, yeah a, a strong suggestion of a good place to start and uh if um if you're listening on the audio podcast later on then this is going to mean nothing to you on screen there's pictures there of some examples and uh there's a smart roadster in the middle and that's being driven by uh, an under-17 driver. So standard is where your under-17 drivers, uh, or rather your 14 to 16-year-old drivers will fit, and they're limited to 1,400cc, although that might change for next year. Watch this space. Uh, but that car pictured is actually competing at the Great Western Sprint next weekend, but with a different driver. Yeah. Um, the other thing just to add Andy with your under two liters is that that um, that is that is for normally aspirated cars um, it's entirely normal in motorsport that um, forced induction cars have a multiplier so you take the actual engine size multiply it by a figure um, whilst for most cars the most common multiplier is 1.4 so 
a one litre car would become a 1.4 litre car. For standard car class, the multiplier is actually 1.7. So you are more more likely, you, you can use some of the very much smaller engine turbo cars, but you're probably more likely to end up with a normally aspirated car in practice. Yeah, absolutely. Good catch there. Yeah, the 1.7 multiplier, I think, I can't remember what that works out at, but it's going to be somewhere around 1,200cc, isn't it? And for a junior, that makes it about 700 and something cc, I think, which is why the Smart Roadster is just about the only turbo car that fits into the uh, junior category. So uh, as you modify from there, you move on into road, which roughly speaking is road legal cars that you can daily. Um, so they've got interior. Uh, they're still tax insured, MOT'd. They are road legal cars. Um, and depending on where you are in the country, they may limit those to list 1A or 1B. Um, so Motorsport UK in the Section S of the yearbook, it's not limited uh, to 1A, but some events do decide to limit them to 1A tyres. Um, again, safety gear is free. And actually, whilst um, whilst it's called road and it's all stuff that you could daily drive, there is quite a lot of modification allowed. Yeah. Suspension upgrades, engine upgrades are pretty much free. Uh, and you see some proper, proper fast stuff here. Um, uh, again, if you're watching on YouTube, there's a picture of, I think that is Dave, in the uh, MX-5 that we shared, locked up at Clay Pigeon. Um, and uh, there's uh, a few cars, like Subaru Impreza there. And actually, yeah, I think that is, um, <laughs> that's my old uh, SUV, which I competed in the road class at Crystal Palace. And there's uh, a Lotus uh, Elise there. So I had to look really carefully. But they are cars that you could drive to work if you wanted to and i absolutely did drive to work in that mx5 so moving up from there you move into the modified category now these are effectively touring cars we're talking stripped out interiors perspex windows all that sort of stuff but the limitation here is that you've got to keep the engine that you originally had in there um so there's no engine swaps allowed but the safety gear also goes up. Um, so you end up with uh, a roll cage is mandatory, although you can get away with a half cage if it's under two litre. Um, you need seats, harnesses. You also have to wear gloves at this point. We didn't talk about personal safety equipment up to this point. But um, in road, you only need a basic race suit and a helmet. And that has to be a Motorsport UK listed helmet that's uh there's a few there's a few that can but basically look for an fia label hmm. you fundamentally want a car helmet um motorcycle helmets do not transfer to meet the car uh, requirements absolutely yeah um so what you'll find is that there's a lot of cars that are heavily modified here they can run on slick tires not just uh normal road tires um and you'll find that these cars tend to be really quite well engineered um or 
so, as is sometimes the case, this is the um, section of the podcast which is all about misunderstood things. People don't read the regulations or don't understand the regulations before they build a car and they do something like they remove the rear seats, at which point they're no longer eligible for road and they have to go into modified. Um, so sometimes you'll find a car that just doesn't look like it should be a modified, but it is because it doesn't quite meet the regulation there. Yeah, it's a good point, Andy, isn't it? Because um, we're, we're, giving, we're giving people pointers, we're signposting them to information. Um, we'll come back to where people can find the blue book, I think probably at the end of this section. Um, but it's really important to do your research and understand things fully so you don't go off down a blind alley. Yeah, I mean, there is a link in the description uh, for the yearbook, so you can go and download it from the website. Um, one thing I didn't mention with uh, the modified and road is that they're actually split into two. There are uh, specialist cars, which, uh, but they're split into series production, which is your normal off-the-shelf road car, it's uh, more than 5,000 of them being made in one year is the definition. So it's what you probably see out your window when you look at cars on the uh, on the street. Um, specialist production is kit cars, limited production run stuff, things that were made in roughly up to 5,000 cars a year. So uh, Caterham's, Westfields, that sort of thing. So um, moving on from the specialist split there um you've got sports libra after modified if your car doesn't fit into anything else it goes into sports libra that's anything goes like well that's where dave runs in his radical amazing sbr chrono sounds like it's warping time as it goes past um 4.3 uh, liters of turbocharged power will be <laughs> will be at, will be at, will be at Castle Coombe. It's an astonishing machine. It will be at Castle Coombe. Brilliant segue. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's it's an amazing car. It's a carbon tub uh, Audi RS6 running gear. It's it's amazing. Bonkers um, car with roof. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> But then you also find because anything goes and you'll remember I spoke about no engine swaps being allowed and modified. If you swap your engine, you're going to find yourself in Sports Libra. Um, so we've talked about some of the fastest tin tops in the country being in Sports Libra and some of them without a, a roof. You know, Dave and his radical. Um, you'll find yourself up against all of that stuff. So it's really worth not, um, yeah, not finding yourself there if, <laughs> if in any way possible. And I'm guessing your image there of a, of a Mark II Ford Escort could well be a two and a half litre Millington engine Escort or something. Um, yeah, they can go out and have a huge, huge amount of fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's still going to be fun. You can still chase your own times. Um, you don't have to be competing against everyone else. Uh, so the the final category is racing cars, and these are not cars that started out as road cars. Um, this is your what you're used to with Formula One, um, sometimes what you're not uh, used to uh, with the sand races. We've had some Channel, Channel Islands chat um, 
I know that those guys racing Guernsey, I think they do in Jersey as well. I'm sure we'll get uh, yeah, they do. Alex a message from Alex in a minute. Yeah, uh, but they are fantastic. Big V8 engines and built to go really fast on sand, but then they also go pretty quickly uh, on uh, on tarmac too. Um, but normally what you'll find is ex-circuit racing cars, or we showed earlier a picture of uh, uh, the car that Dave shared with uh, with his friend Simon. Uh, force. There's a number of small body manufacturers who make um, speed event racing cars specifically for speed events because there's no minimum weight in um, sprinting or hill climbing, in fact. Uh, so you'll find that some cars are sub 300 kilos in single seaters. Um, in fact, I don't know what yours is, Andrew, perhaps a little bit over 300. Uh, uh, it's 300 about kilos. 340. Before the driver, yeah. of course. Yeah, before the driver. Yeah, yeah. So, what, 342, 343? What's uh, your slender figures in? <laughs> if only. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that that's really what I wanted to run through with, um, with all the categories so people understand how their car's going to be classified and where they're going to end up um when they turn up at an event which nine times out of ten they are based on the categories so most clubs will subdivide those categories into classes so you'll find a two liter split for example in the single seaters almost universally um but anyway there yeah. we go that's a little roundup of um so the, the, key the, take, the key takeaway for me there, I think, Andy, was that basically you go up through levels of modification and performance and the safety requirements are proportionate. They're scaled to match to match those increases. Absolutely. That That is the aim. Um, so the faster you go, the riskier it is. And the general aim with the regulation is to make sure that the faster you're going, the more safety gear you have to protect yourself and that's why the hands device um well yeah it doesn't have to be a hands device but the uh yeah yep yeah that's why that comes in when you're going quicker um, yes and, that, and actually there's an example there i'm um, going back to gm ballistics question about roll hoops and what people would choose to do um, you and I might both remember a colleague who we will leave unnamed who had a moderate speed frontal impact into a tire barrier. Um, to narrow it down. <laughs> in a in a small engine in a small engine front wheel drive hatchback car. I'm not gonna name the person because that would be unfair. Yeah. Um, was was kind of fine and could repair the car himself. Um, but came out of it with a sore neck through not having a frontal head restraint. Um, and when some days after, some days after I asked, you know, would you compete in a car without one again? The answer was no way. So you've always got the minimum level of safety required by regulations. Um, but think about think about what you'd actually feel comfortable with and what you feel is appropriate um, for, for the level of risk that you're prepared to. To take, we all hope we don't fall off, but it'll probably happen to us sometime. Yeah, yeah, it nearly always does, but it's a personal decision, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 
actually you brought up uh, GM ballistic um, and questions. Now I'm I'm <laughs> doing myself uh, a bit of trouble here because uh, can you have open face in a tin top? And I actually don't know the answer. I should do. Um, we'd, we'd we'd have to check and invite GM ballistic to to do the blue book. Certainly, I know that. Um, Friend of friend of mine in uh, in in a standard car class, Clio certainly does. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if there's a crossover point or not. Um, you you but... certainly can have a open face in. I'm pretty damn certain you can have an open face uh, in a roofed car, but I'm not 100% certain. I have seen people competing with an open face in open roofed cars but i don't know uh, you, off the top of my head no, you'd have to you'd have to have at least goggles or advised it i think um but it's a good it's a good chance to say though isn't it the motorsport uk yearbook um is available online um without any cost so you go onto the motorsport uk website you look under resource center um it's colloquially called the blue book which gives a clue to its long-term the long-term color of its cover it is formally called the yearbook so if you go to motorsport uk website resource center scroll down the left hand side to yearbook that's where you'll find it and it's always actually recommended to use the online version because if there are any amendments through the course of the year the online version will be kept up to date yeah good point now yeah although actually the um the yearbook doesn't tend to get updated but that, that, let's gloss over that yeah um so uh hill climb and sprint a uh, great youtube channel actually the uh, welsh hill climb and sprint channel um safety gear there are companies that hire if uh if someone wants to try it do you know what i don't know about about those companies um it'd be really useful if you pop some uh some links in the chat or some more info that'd be really helpful um and Alex has come back. <laughs> they don't do the sand racing. Oh. Shame. Still. Anyway. Um, and uh, again, some helpful information here from. Uh... Oh, there you go. Well, I think that might. I think that might be Paul in his um, mod prod mod prod Clio. So uh, thank you for that, Paul. If it is, if it is indeed you. And uh, definitely engage. Uh, ah, yeah, of course, Carol does run an open face with goggles, doesn't she? Uh, Nike Formula Ford. Yep, exactly, yeah. Carol Nichols, that is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, um, in the car her dad built. Yeah. Exactly, marvellous history to that. Yeah, so um, we're at the end of all of our comments um, and pretty much, actually, at the end of... Uh, what I wanted to talk about there. So, um... excellent. So, if we've cleared, if we've cleared the comment, if we've cleared the comments, and we've gone through that level of detail, um, I think we are we are virtually at the end. Um, so, yes, this is. <laughs> <laughs> this is <laughs> thank you thank you alex for that yes <laughs> there's also a smart 4-2 on ebay at the moment that does wheelies and that's competed at shellsley anyway uh brilliant so yes Sorry, for, that, carry for, on. Those, for those on the audio channel alex was sharing uh, sharing news about a jersey-based buggy um so we are thank you everybody for sticking with us through the very first um of our start line stories podcasts um the intention is to run these fortly fortnightly sorry so the next one will be in two weeks time um and as probably came across we will be looking at auto solos 
um, a great starting point again. Um, I guess we'll hopefully be Hayden Marks ahead of the Oxford Auto Solo. Um, and we'll also include um, more, more conversation about competing as an under 17 year old. Um, so this fantastic opportunity that motorsport gives where you can actually compete before you can drive on the road. Um, it'd be fantastic if uh, people on the podcast uh, share the recording with anybody else who's interested. Um, and this will be available as an audio recording, um, which means I need to put you on the spot, Andy, and ask you, well, how will people find the audio recording when it is prepared? Um, on your favourite podcasting app. So uh, we're not there yet because this is the first episode and you can't publish until you've got one. But uh, we'll be on Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, um, iTunes, yeah, okay. yeah any so, other Apple-based. So will that, be, will that be under the Speed on Screen banner? Uh, it's Startline Stories. Startline yeah, Stories, okay. For Startline Stories, you can listen to us in audio, but not live. Fantastic. So um, if people have um, any suggestions for future episodes, um, there's just still the chance to add them to the comments or to email speedonscreen at gmail.com. That's speedonscreen at gmail.com. Um, so thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, we've reached the finish line, but we will be back again with more Startline stories. Um, so thank you, Andy. Thank you to all our attendees um, and those uh, listening subsequently. Um, for now, we say thank you, goodbye, and we'll see you again soon. Goodbye.